Hello and welcome to 201X Best Games of the Decade, where we talk about the best games that came out in the past 10 years, year by year. I am Jared, but you can call me Ja, and I am here with Christina, also known as Pop-Tart. Hello. And here with Mikey, also known as Keylock. Yo, what's up? Yes, for each year of this decade, we will drill down the top 10 games of that year, this episode is focused on the best games of 2015, and I want to welcome anybody, uh, any any newcomers to the show. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to hop right in the middle there. You must really love 2015 if you're if you're new to the show right now. But welcome, and I like to welcome back any other listeners who have been listening to the series since the start. Uh, glad to have you. You know, we're always looking for feedback, so. If you uh, if you enjoyed the previous episodes, have something to say, definitely uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at the Mash Network, or you can hop on our Discord at discord.me/slash/mash those buttons and tell us what you think. More than likely, it's going to be that you disagree with our list, but that is the internet, is it not? <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, so before we hop into our list for 2015, I just want to remind everybody about the lock and system that we have in place. Uh, obviously game reviews lists like this they always have a bit biased but at least we're being upfront with you on the ones that we are biased about uh so our lock-in system each host had an opportunity to pick a game from the year and lock it into the top 10 right now when they lock in a game to the top 10 it does not uh you know grant a specific space in the top 10 like it doesn't give it a number but at the very least those games will go on the list so those games will be announced and like I said, there's only three of them because one per host so those games will be announced as they come up. And with that, let's go ahead and hop into our list with number 10. Best games of 2015, number 10. Until Dawn. Until Dawn takes the horror slasher genre and excellently adapts it to the game's format. The cast's outstanding performances, accompanied with creepy visuals and atmosphere, pulled players in and the depth at which choices mattered made for a highly replayable experience. The game may be short, but that helped Supermassive focus on its execution, which they did well. All right, number 10, Until Dawn. I did not play this game because it has teenagers in it. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, Jaw hates teenagers. Like, Which would make you think you'd want to play it because you just kill teenagers. I hate teenagers and I hate teenage problems. Get off my lawn. no like it just yeah i i i it's very rare for me to play a game where you know teens are the lead and they have teenage problems and i enjoy it so i'm gonna let you guys because you both because both of you had this game on your list so you really enjoyed this game i didn't really play much of it but i saw i've seen videos on it and i so i'm not good with scary games this was gonna be like my intro to scary games and then i chickened out um but i really like the story writing in this game like it i don't know it was really funny it felt like super like old school horror thriller kind of style like everybody's making the wrong decisions and even if you make a decision that's the right decision you're still dead so but mikey can take it away because you played this game <laughs> played this game a lot by a lot i mean one night with a bunch of friends and we started it and we finished it in a night um, the game was so good that we literally, literally, like, we started at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we played it all the way to, like, 5 a.m. in the morning, finishing it. We were, like, passing the controller, 
And it was just very, it was, it was like watching a really, you know, cheesy ass teenage slasher movie for the most part. Like, and it was really good. It was super massive, did a good job. The visuals were good. The acting was teenage bullshit, which was great because it fit the scene. Uh, it, it did a lot of heavy rain, like quick QTE shit. Like it was a very solid game that had like really good consequences for your actions if you did stupid shit, which guess what? Teenagers do stupid shit. So a lot of consequences happened. Um, it was a great like intro for Supermassive as a as a developer or whatever as well. Like it really set them off, hence why they're working on Man of Madon stuff now. Uh for for you know, that whole uh Dark picture chronicle story thing they're working on where they're doing yeah, that's, multiple. That's the one on the boat, right? That's the, that. Like... Yeah, that's that one. They're making another. There's another one coming out next year. They're trying to make these like I guess like like it's kind of like going forward. They're working on their like their own Tales of the Crypt basically version of this kind of stuff. But it's not Tales of the Crypt. It's their own like dark right. pictures anthology. Um, but yeah, no, it was just super solid. They had really good voice actors come in for this as well. They had like. The guy from Mr. Robot was in this. Uh, Hay- Hayden Panettiere was in this. Uh, it was very, had a pretty good cast of uh, actors involved, all in all. And it just was like, it was just a really good time to play. Yeah, I would say games like this, like a lot of like these cinematic games are more and more of them are enlisting like a bunch of B-list actors. Like you're actually seeing a lot of B-list actors in games. Period. Even like their likenesses. Like, um, I cannot remember her name for the life of me. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, th- but you're right. Like, and they got A-list actors for this thing. Like, Ra- Rami Malek is the guy I was thinking of from, who who is from. You Mr. think Rob- he's an A-list actor? He got a he got an Oscar for for playing for playing B-list actors uh, get Oscars for Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, like, like he, he's, still, he's not like, B list. He was he he literally played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody. That's not B list. Yeah, but like you don't get an A list actor to play somebody else that's famous like Freddie Mercury. You have to get like a B list actor for that. Like, with the, like, you don't get like yeah, like you don't get an A list actor to play like you would never get an A list actor to play Michael Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Like because their face is too their face is too recognizable. Even when Jennifer Lopez did Selena. She was a B-list actor or actress, I should say. Be like the, the A-list actors are too recognizable. So that's yeah, that's exactly why he, he was perfect for that choice because you know him a bit. Uh, he can do the part, and you know, but at the same time, you can still see Freddie Mercury in him. And in, it's important in video games that that's the case too. Like um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, for example, you had a bunch of B-list actors, and they're by their face, like so. Uh, the kid from uh, that played the Joker on Gotham, or what, I don't know what that ever came, but he is the main character in Fallen Order. At first, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like it, but I was like, oh, he's actually pretty good, and I, and I and I like him as his character. And I forget her name, but she played in Fallen Order, and she played um, in Wolfenstein too in both games, and she Deborah did a Wilson. great job. Yes, Deborah Wilson. She did. Yeah. A, she did a great job. The only reason I remember her is because Mad TV. I'm not gonna lie. No, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so. The thing about B-list actors is that, generally speaking, B-list actors are good actors, right? But yeah. they're just, they just don't have mass appeal, which works out for us because they're good actors. They can do their job well, but they don't have mass appeal, so they fit very well into these, into these video games. And so a game like this, like, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't play it because of the teenage aspect of it. I knew I just wouldn't like it. Every time one of those fucking teenagers died, I'm like, fuck, thank you. 
thank you, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, like when I was watching it, like I was taking a look at the uh, YouTube videos and stuff like that, I can see, like the in terms of how the game played and the quality of the writing and the quality of the scenes, I can see why you wanted to make sure that this was on the list. So I didn't fight you too much on it, <laughs> getting until dawn onto the list. So I, I think it does deserve a spot for 2015. And actually, for the other games are doing i'm actually interested in playing those and seeing how they go mm. so we'll see even though it's pretty much teenagers doing stupid shit it, I, when i was i was looking at videos for the newer one and it doesn't seem as as bad like the the teenage idiot is still pretty bad okay i'm gonna skip it then thank you <laughs> <laughs> man of a dawn i'll just that that was not a good start to this anthology the next one though looks pretty all right but like that one i don't think uh, it was that good Okay. Okay. Well, was that? We are going to move into number nine. Best games of 2015. Number nine. Rocket League. Soccer and cars? Sure. At first glance, Rocket League is a fun, chaotic game to play. Use your car, get the ball in the goal. Under the hood, however, Rocket League has incredible depth that has spawned its own eSports league. Matches are fast, thrilling, and your controls are precise. Players that put the time in are rewarded by the skills they develop to give them an edge over the competition. Rocket League is a simple concept with superb execution. All right, number nine, Rocket League. A game that, like, normally, like, I mean, when Rocket League came out, I was like, okay, that's cute. Now, just kind of, I played it for a little bit, I went about my business, but as always, people... They could turn any game competitive, and Rocket Rocket League. I mean, it's an esport now. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought that Rocket League would have been an esport? And I think the thing that's kind of that's kind of tricky about Rocket League is, um, it's a simple idea, a very simple idea executed very well. If you're like me and you just kind of hopping, you want to knock the ball around with the car, you can, and you can still have a good time. But there are people like because there's technical depth in the game, like doing barrel rolls or somersaults and making sure you do it at the right time. Or, you know, when you're playing with a team of people that, you know, setting up scores like, you know, I'm not a soccer expert, uh, but like, you know, like they do in soccer and stuff like that. Like that is a that is available in the game. That's what you see more so in the esports scene, uh, you know, aspect of it. So Rocket League, when it came out, wasn't perfect. I know they definitely had some server issues, but they're definitely not. I mean, they weren't making the money they made making now, obviously, right? So Rocket League, you know, I think it deserves a spot on this list because it's a good game. It's still getting played. I mean, uh, it, it is a live service, but like it gets high marks every single year. The developers staying on their toes. Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it is a game that is balanced well for both the low level and the high level play. And, uh, yeah, they did a good job. I mean, there's really not much more I can say about it. Yeah, I mean, Rocket League. So, first off, I think this was my lock-in pick because I didn't have too many options this year. Um, uh, this was your lock-in pick. Yes, it was. So, I just want to say, like, when Rocket League came out, though, like, it was it was weird to see, like, everybody was playing it. Like, my brother's like, have you heard of Rocket League? This game's amazing. I'm like, yes. Yes, I have. Um, I played it for two minutes. I'm not competitive. So like, I didn't really play it for too much, but the impact that this game has had, like the, the cross play that it started doing, like started opening the cross play servers for like everything else. Cause it was 
it came out first on PS4 and PC. So you could do crossplay between that. And then Xbox came out. And then Sony was like, no, we don't want to do it between PS4 and Xbox One. Then Sony or then Nintendo had their version on the Switch came come out. And then they were open to everything. So like the kind of like things that pushed, I guess, Sony finally decided or they're still working on deciding. I don't know. But like the fact that this started pushing the envelope of like, hey, we should start doing crossplay between all consoles was like pretty dope. Um, and the impact that it's had on esports is really insane too, just because it's super friendly. It's user friendly. It's kid friendly. It's everything friendly. So if you have like esports going on in like high schools, a lot of places it depends on where you're from, but a lot of places don't want you to be playing like Overwatch or Counter Strike or whatever because it's still shooting elements, whereas. Rocket League is good for any environment. So, yeah, it's esports everywhere. It's amazing right. what you can do with a car, a ball, and goals. I don't know. Like, it's just like soccer and cars. Like, it just, it's so simple and such a good idea that, like, you, no one, like, who would have thought, like, it would have taken off so well? But they did well, it so a- right. Like, they just did it so right. Well, that's the thing. You got to give it up to the, to the dev team because it's like, how do you translate soccer and the different moves in soccer and the posi- well, not necessarily the positions in soccer, but the different strategies that you can take in soccer and then translate that to a game with cars. Yeah. You know? And it's, kudos to the esports scene for also kudos to the devs for making it easy to watch. Like you can you can very easily turn on Rocket League and just be able to instantly know what's going on and to see what's happening on the in the match. Yeah, I mean, that is a key to esports. Some games struggle with that, like Overwatch struggles with that uh, a lot, you know. So, yeah, like it, it, it's the, one of the key to, to a decent esport game is that somebody can turn on and understand what's happening, you know, versus having it, you know, it didn't even be explained to them as it's happening. So, right. Yeah. Anytime people ask about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's soccer with cars. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay. But people ask like, oh, Overwatch, what's that? And I'm like, okay. That's a deep question. Here we go. Here's my five-page thesis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move into number eight. Best games of 2015, number eight, Bloodborne. Bloodborne helped to expand the Souls-like subgenre, taking the difficult, execution-heavy combat of Dark Souls and altering it with a faster, more offensive combat system. The gothic horror setting is terrifying, yet gorgeous at the same time. Bloodborne has a lot of depth and offers many mysteries to unravel. The only thing you have to wager is a pound of flesh. Alright, number eight, Bloodborne. Now I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I did not play through this game because I I couldn't get past the aesthetic. It was just too gray for me. It was too gray, too boring to look at. But the combat itself, like I could, that's why I wrestled with it so much. I could clearly see the combat was dope. Like the combat was good. You know, it was kind. It was well. I mean, obviously, it was like the combat sourced from Souls, but being able to switch from like heavy to light weapons and attacks on the fly that makes a world of a difference. That makes the in my opinion, an action game way more engaging, but to have the weight, uh, the weight of Dark Souls kind of behind it, where you get punished for your mistakes pretty pretty heavily, right? Know? But then it also did enough to vary itself from being a Souls game. Like it didn't really, you didn't have, you didn't really rely on blocking that much in this 
at all or at all. You had to parry with the gun. You had to dodge. You had to move. The the mechanic of when you lose health, if you go back in and try to hit them, you'll get health back. Like there it's a very aggressive game very comparatively to like I'd say a Souls game doesn't feel like all that aggressive. You can kind of play Souls very passive, but like in this you have to kind of like play it really aggressively and it and you get punished if you're just backpedaling the whole time. So. Right. I will say as someone who swore off Souls games for the rest of their life, I was very tempted to play this game. Yeah. It's just I know you hate the aesthetic, but I love the whole idea of gothic horror and that's pretty much what this like bled out everywhere onto the page for me and it was really cool for me the the weapon the weapon switching the the trick weapons was a great mechanic i love the kirk wall hammer i think it's dumb but i love it like the fact that i can have a great sword and then just put the great sword into the sheath and then pull it and then out comes this giant fucking hammer like just really made me really happy like there's a lot of good cool trick weapons in the game that just changes how the game plays yeah, I get what you And the thing is, I don't necessarily mind gothic horror, right? But the fa- it, it just really felt like they drained all of the color out of this game. Like gothic horror, obviously, is not known for being colorful, obviously. But at the same time, it was just it was just it just looked and felt so bland. As I'm looking, I'm just like, I can't. Like, I'm not. I can't justify. Like, I don't want to be playing this game and then just get bored with how it looks and then end up not liking it because of it. Which is rare, like it's it, like that. It's just the aesthetic of the game. But other than that, like everybody I knew was playing it. I've I've I've, I've sat and watched friends playing. I'm like, this is a this is a pretty dope game. I mean, I don't think I would have cared about the story too much, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but like, still, no. But Bloodborne, I think it it was one of the better games that came out that year. And sure. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Not much more to say about that. Let's move on to number seven. Best games of 2015, number seven, Halo 5 Guardians. Halo 5 Guardians was 343 Studios' second dive into the Halo universe and the first Halo in the new generation of hardware. To truly appreciate the story requires a deep knowledge of Halo lore, but anyone could appreciate the level design, weapon tweaks, new abilities at your disposal. Additionally, Warzone brought a new spin on the Halo multiplayer formula while still providing a solid multiplayer experience for fans of classic game modes. Number seven, Halo 5 Guardians. Now this was my locked my my lock-in because this game gets a bad rap. It really does. And I, I'm gonna start from the top. <laughs> Alright. For the first problem was the marketing for the game. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that they had a different vision from the game early on I, I i am of the firm belief that they wanted master chief to be the antagonist of this game at the end of the day they wanted chief to be the antagonist probably because i mean i think they probably want to kill off chief uh so that they can move on with the series in different ways but yeah that's, that's that that is high speculation but i think chief wanted to be they want chief to be the antagonist uh, sorry the yeah the antagonist of this game and obviously like people would have had a heart attack if that would have happened. They probably got bad uh, bad feedback in early playtests, and they decided to pull that because all of the early marketing made it seem like you were going to hunt down Master Chief, right? Or that Master Chief was going to be hunted by somebody. The hunting aspect of this game literally lasted for one level, you know? 
It lasted for one level. When you get done with that level, they explain why Chief did what he did. It's like, okay, well, let's go help him instead. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how they. So I will say that that's, the marketing was a big part of the of the issue. But then on top of that, I mean, if it's not a bungee halo, there's just a, a whole group of people who will not accept that this game could be any decent at all. But I mean, in terms of the good stuff about this game, it was the best looking halo that we we've had. Uh, it had the best level design. It does like in both single and multiplayer fight me like it does. And that's because of the mobility options that you had. Now you can clamor, which may not seem like a big deal being able to climb up the side of things, but it is, it is a big deal because it means you can make your maps more vertical and stuff like that. You know, when now like when you're in the air, the jetpacks uh, will keep you up there if you're if you're aiming and stuff. And then on top of that, you had the different abilities, which some people didn't like that. But I mean, times kind of change, right? Like all these games are a wall. Like when you have a game that's been going on for you know almost twenty years now, it's going it's going to evolve in different ways. And I didn't think that the the abilities they put into the game were too overpowered. I think they actually made the the single player a lot better. Uh, and that's another thing. Like this game was designed from the ground up for four player co-op to the point that if you didn't have people to play with you, you just had AI partners and they were fine. I mean, I had once or twice where they got stuck behind something, but eh, it's whatever, <laughs> you know, I, I, it, it didn't necessarily ruin my time. Like I said, this game is number seven, not number one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like I don't know, like the, I will say that the, the campaign story and dialogue wasn't the greatest in the Halo series. But in terms of the level design and the arenas that they put together and in terms of fun, like I had a great time playing this game. I played through this game twice. I played through it once by myself, then once with a, through with a group of four friends. And we had, had a great time both times. The, the big boss is repetitive. It does have repetitive boss syndrome where you fight him one time and it's just him. Then you fight him the second time and there's like two of him. Then you fight him the last time and it's like six of him. <laughs> you know, so um it did have that like i said it's number seven not number one okay uh then they did ahead Warzone to multiplayer which i thought that was fun and it had resource management and things like that but you weren't forced into it right you could go play your normal death match and things like that and the game obviously really shines there because that's what it is it's an arena shooter uh from the ground up so i mean i think halo, halo 5 was definitely one of the best games that came out in 2015 but you know, you you talk to people and they're like, "Oh, it's a it's a terrible Halo with a terrible campaign." I'm like, "What is the best level design that they've had in a Halo series?" Period. Not to mention, they also tweaked the weapons so that there was no useless weapon in Halo Five. There was no you, you can have a favorite weapon, but no weapon was useless. Like in Halo Four, some of those weapons were absolutely useless. Like if you picked it up by accident, you just double back and pick up the gun that you dropped instead because there's certain guns you couldn't do anything with. But they, yeah, I mean. I enjoyed the game. I thought it was good. I'm looking forward to the next Halo. Well, the next new Halo. I mean, we got, you know, uh, Halo, the Master Chief Collection on PC coming out soon, which I will cop it again, you know. So, we'll see. Anybody else got anything to say about Halo 5 before we move on? I didn't play it a lot, so I can't really talk about it. That's all I got. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I will say, though, the marketing was very misleading because... Yeah, that that that's a hundred percent true. Because even until like you explained it to me like a few weeks ago, I thought it was like you're hunting down Master Chief and you know Cortana, which sounded is. super cool. Yeah, and then we got something else. Yeah, I am interested in playing the Halo series. I just haven't. 
Maybe I'll play it when the Master Chief Collection comes out on PC. Yeah, we can run through co-op together if you want to. Yeah, carry me. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that one of the biggest problems was the was the marketing was the marketing piece of it because even so they had a bunch of marketing stuff for this, right? They had the the commercials obviously. They had the the TV series, the eight episode TV series that you could watch which introduced Locke as a character. Uh, it's called Halo Nightfall, I think. It was it was like Halo Nightfall, and it was a it was an eight episode like 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 TV series, and then they had the um the podcast, the Master Chief, the, like the, the 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 podcast that had uh Key and Peel, uh Peel. It had it had Peel from Key and Peel. Uh, so I forget his first name, but it had him uh, on the podcast, and then it also had the oh man. It had an animated movie too, where it explained the relationship of Blue Team. Like it basically showed Master Chief in training with Blue Team when he was a, when he was like a, a kid. So like it explains that relationship, and that's another reason I think that this game, like they, I think they kind of put that in there because there's a ton of stuff with Locke and his team, and you can see their you can listening to their dialogue and stuff like that. You can feel that they have that relationship. They build that relationship really well, even in the game. However, when it comes to the blue team characters, you kind of already have to know about them and their characters and their relationship to Chief, like who they were. Like, okay, like we've had how many Halo games now? And for a lot of people, this is the first time they've heard about blue team, period. This is the first time I heard about blue team. There's no explanation as to why blue team wasn't around in the uh, original Halo series, right? If you have read the books or you know the lore, like you'll understand why that was the case. But no, so for a lot of people, it's just like this is Master Chief's team when he never had a team before, and they're supposed to be like family or some shit like that. Like, so if you don't know about that in the game, I can understand how you could really not like the campaign, right? So because it seems it's like just, there's a lot of storytelling that you kind of would need outside of the campaign. Yes, because what three four three does, and this is. Uh, one of the things I like about 343 versus Bungie. Bungie had a lore for Halo, but each Halo, but the Halo trilogy was its own story in itself. But with 343, they're taking the lore of Halo and using it as part of their story. Like you kind of have to, like if you, uh, to understand Halo 4 fully, you kind of have to understand the background of the, the forerunners and, you know, stuff like that. And then to understand Halo 5 and why would Cortana want to take chief and blue team and just suspend them in animation and then just wipe everybody else out. Why them? And there's very good reasons for that. If you understand. This feels a lot like final fantasy uh, 15 because they had all of the storyline. Like that's, I think they- that's yeah, that was what I was saying. Cause if you didn't, if you didn't watch the animes on YouTube and you didn't want, and you didn't watch the movie and all that other stuff, like, Final Fantasy 15, we could totally see how you did not get what was happening or what was going on in the world at all whatsoever. Right. So hopefully in the next one they do a, a bit of a better job. But in terms of the game itself, it's a solid game. You, I, you, it's hard. I can understand you not feel like you, you, you having certain feelings about it because of the way the game was presented. But in terms of the game, it is solid. All right. Okay. So let's go ahead and move into number six. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Best Games of 2015, number 6. Mortal Kombat 10. Mortal Kombat 10 once again delivers a mixture of cinematic presentation and gameplay that was once unheard of in fighting games, and this time, they did it even better. It also added additional depth to each character by adding multiple variations of each character that impacted both strategy and fighting style. Mortal Kombat 10 still retains its great fighting mechanics that are frantic, fluid, and devastating. 10 out of 10 would crack bones again. Number 6, Mortal Kombat X. Mike. Go ahead, because this is like, I mean, you, you, you're going to know the most about this game. <laughs> I'm this just going to let you This read. is probably <laughs> the best Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat has ever been, even, I'd say, even now with Mortal Kombat 11 being out. Uh, Mortal Kombat X uh, improved everything on MK9, learned from Injustice as well. Uh, they added the variation system, which was super fucking cool. Every character basically had three variants, which each one would have different special moves that the others might not have. So it allowed players to play uh, like Katana three different ways. You could kind of play her as a zoner. You could kind of play her as a mix-up rushdown, just depending on what your style was. Uh, so it was very interesting. The story mode, fucking stellar. Like, knocked it out of the park with the story mode for this Mortal Kombat. Probably MKX has the best storytelling in any of the Mortal Kombat games to date. Um, MKX had really shitty online, though, at the beginning. But... And, but NetherRealm literally like rebuilt the netcode from the ground up again and added rollback at a later patch. Uh, the season passes had great content, had a lot of good characters added to it. It's just they added back the run system in the game, which made combos really interesting. When you got to launch people, you could use the run to like go and catch up. It was hard to do, but like still really fun. Execution was a little rough in MKX, but still easy to get into it was just overall it it was just super fucking good it was like probably the best mortal kombat game to date hands down like people i know people that still play mkx instead of mk11 right now because they just enjoyed the combat of mkx so well the roster was really good at the get at the get-go too they aged a lot of their characters which made them look super neat um yeah it's just great it was just a great game the feeling that I get, while people do enjoy MK11, they were a bit disappointed that it wasn't in MKX, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, is uh is Eleven the one they introduced Cassie Cajun? No, this is the one they introduced Cassie Cajun. That's the only like. That's I mean, the only... I meant to say X. Sorry, I don't know my numbers. It's okay. Yeah, X <laughs> is where they introduced the combat kids, which kind of 
people were like, who are these little shits? But yeah. some people liked some of them. Like I liked uh uh the bow the bow staff guy a lot, uh Kung Jin. And I, a lot of people liked Takeda, the robot ninja that was basically the son of Kenji of Kenshi Kenshi. And he was trained under Scorpion, so he had like cyber ninja scorpion stuff, which was kind of cool. They tried to Jackie was a little weak, but I think they did a lot with Jackie and MK11. Cassie is Cassie. I don't, I don't know what to say. It's Johnny Cage's daughter. Um, Sonia's daughter. It's very awkward. <laughs> it was so I did watch the storyline. I usually don't play through the storylines. I just watched it, but that's why I asked because I did enjoy that storyline and the dynamic between all the characters since they are older. So I think they did mm -hmm. a really good job throughout the story. It was it was fun to watch. I, I don't right. I can't really judge much on gameplay in fighting games because I don't play them too often. But um, because I am around in the scene, that game did last a while, a lot longer than 11 did, I feel like. I mean, 11, I think, is still being played, but I don't see as much buzz around it than I did with X. The cool thing about X is it had it had what got people in, but there was like a real good depth to the game. I think MK11, while good and has some depth, I don't think it has the depth that MKX did. And I think that's to get new people to play it. Well, yeah, I mean, that is always the problem with fighting games is accessibility, you know. Uh, but the you, problem also is if you make it too accessible and you lower the depth, your player base tends to fall off as well. You're well, there's a trade-off, right? If you get more people to you, they don't need people to keep playing the game. They need right, people they to buy the, the initial game. sales. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, like you, it's it's a tough it's a tough act to follow, right? Like, well, not tough act to follow, but it's a hard thing to do. I mean, if you want to look at a, a developer that's been struggling with balance, uh, for casual versus you know high level play, look no further than Blizzard and Overwatch. You know, uh, it's but like, yeah, it's just funny in the fighting game scene because we see what happened with Street Fighter Five, right? Street Fighter Five obviously became not as deep as Street Fighter Four, I would say. And I think that's, I guess, a fair thing to say. Um, but, I mean, Street Fighter Five also had a whole myriad of launch issues as well. But, like, all the games seem to be doing this, like, let's tone things down a bit like Street Fighter Five did. And right. I don't know if that's going to work out so well. We'll have to see how Guilty Gear Drive they'll, does because that's also getting toned down a bit. They'll figure out the balance because the balance is that you have to be able to make it so that somebody who doesn't normally play the game can sit down and enjoy the game with their friends that also don't know how to play the game. But if somebody steps up to the controller that knows how to play the game and knows the depth that they are able to dominate because mm -hmm. they have these these kind of ed edges, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I will make the I, argument, though, like having people consistently play versus people who just buy the game and that's it is actually a major thing for companies nowadays because how many times do they have like loot boxes or extra content mm -hmm. or a DLC? Mm -hmm. And they have these servers up and running. So if you just have people buying the game, eventually you hit that limit, right? Whereas you have like all of these customization options, like Overwatch, for example, like, yeah, people still buy the game. They have alts or whatever, mm -hmm. but they have all of these loot boxes that people just like keep buying. And like hosting servers isn't free. You don't no, think people don't like buy loot boxes? Loot boxes? You, no. What? No. Why would you buy Overwatch loot boxes? There's no reason. There was a time where we bought literally 50 loot boxes. Yes, there was a time. <laughs> but there was a time when we bought loot boxes. But the, the thing about the loot boxes, uh, especially with Overwatch, is that 
We've, Once you buy a few packs, you realize that you can still get dog shit and spend all this money. You know. Right. Well, maybe that's and why that's, they have that's Overwatch loot boxes too though. Out. Like that's exactly why they have Overwatch too coming out. They need money. They need a, they need a solid flow. actual product. Yeah. They need an actual product. That's what I'm saying. Like so, there's a, a balance has to be struck. For, the FGC is a little different because uh, there more money is made. Not should say more money, but money is also made in people who play the game regularly. Like even though, so let's say a game like Mortal Kombat or even Street Fighter, right? Uh, does not make a lot of money from the game itself because, you know, let's say a lot of FG, FGC players aren't necessarily playing it. However, from the esports aspect of it, people still tune in to watch Street Fighter. So they need to make sure that there's high level Street Fighter play so that the people who want to watch Street Fighter can and they can make money that way. It's about, it's, 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 they have to, it's a, it's a juggling act, you know, so. In terms of the like making the the fighting games easier, I think they will find their balance. I don't think they've found it yet, but they will find their balance. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move into number five. Best games of 2015. Number five. Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. Metal Gear Solid 5 The Phantom Pain reinvents the Metal Gear Stealth formula, putting players in a completely open world where there is no right way to approach a situation. It is the sandbox of stealth games, providing players tools and allowing them to find solutions as they see fit. In a genre that usually relies on tightly controlled environments, MGS5 excelled with this system and is arguably the best Metal Gear in the series gameplay-wise. At the same time, fans of the series will still receive their complex storylines with long-winded dialogue and somewhat satisfying conclusions. All right, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain coming in at number five. And just to state how good this game is, it made it to number five, and it's not a, it's not a complete game. I mean, some, I, I've heard people say that, oh, no, the game is complete at around chapter 32, and then you have post-game content. No. I'm sorry. No, like it, the game is just incomplete. It it it, it really is. Um, if you get like the what is it, the collector's edition, and it comes with the extra DVDs, there's even cutscenes that aren't even completed that were supposed to be in the game, and they right, don't yeah. even have like full animation or anything. Yeah, like the game was incomplete. But man, those first thirty chapters, the first thirty chapters, oh my god, like they were so. It was the game itself was so good. Like. Uh, and it's not even necessarily the story because a lot of times the the story of Metal Gear is what draw a lot of people in. Like you have a great story and great gameplay. This story was okay. I would actually say that this story was a bit unnecessary. Metal Gear Solid Five was unnecessary, and I think Kojima felt like it was unnecessary too because he had told his story and everything that you kind of needed to know what what had been known, you know. But Metal Gear Solid Five really is in terms of the story, it was really kind of just like it wrapped up every little detail right why was big boss alive in metal gear solid in metal gear 2 now you know what happened to this character what happened to that character like basically they tie up all the loose ends for every character in metal gear that's what the the the, the story was and the shaggo not the shaggo hide what is this the sahelanthropus was my least favorite metal gear mainly because i don't think you were supposed to get inside of it but still it was, my, it was my least favorite of the Metal Gears, uh, but it was still a good game. Did you Great. like Acid? Did I like Acid? Uh, oh, no, that was the card game one. I wasn't a huge fan of Acid. It's still Metal Gear. 
It still meant the story was good. <laughs> yeah, the, sto- the story was good. The story, all the, the stories were all good. Like this is, I think this is the weakest story in the Metal Gear franchise. To be honest, okay. But the thing that pulls this game in onto this list is the gameplay itself. Like the fully open world stealth aspect of the game, where you could just there were so many different ways to you literally could just choose how you wanted to approach the situation. There was no wrong way to do it. You could. Go in during the day. You could go in during the night. You could wait for it to start the rain. You could wait for a sandstorm. You could shoot the place up. You could go through with no kills. Uh, you could place traps in the area and set off a chain, a chain effect of traps or distractions to get from one area to, you know, another. You know, you can call in a helicopter to fight their helicopter. And while their helicopter is fighting your helicopter, you can blow it up with a rocket launcher and then put the hostages on the back of a truck and then drive the truck out of the scene while running over somebody's horse if you wanted to do that in this Metal Gear. You, it is It was a sand... Auto or Metal Gear. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a sandbox stealth game. You could do anything. Like, they gave you tools and you used it. And that was that. Like, it was amazing. Like, the game doesn't provide that many, like, set piece moments. I think if you play this game and you talk to somebody about this game, you're not going to hear about too many moments in the game, right? Like in Metal Gear Solid 1 where people talk about the the ninja going down the hallway and all the blood or the first time you fight um, uh, Psycho Mantis and, you know, things like that. You're not going to get that in this game because all of the moments are created by you. That at the player, you know, basically. I mean, the game still has cutscenes. It has uh, pretty decent cutscenes too. Uh, I think they also handled the way, uh, you know, some of the surprising aspects of the game well too. Like the first time you come across quiet. So if if you wait too long, they're gonna push you in that direction to meet up with her. But if you just stumble in her direction, which I did. Like you're just walking, all of a sudden you just somebody just like puts a shot across your head, right? and they barely miss, and boom! It's like I'm like, what the fuck was that? And then now you're all 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 of a sudden in a boss fight with this in- invisible chick, you know? So yeah, I think that I that's that's the thing about this game is like it is the best gameplay Metal Gear of the group. Metal Gear Solid Five gameplay wise is the best. If you want my opinion on which game is the actual best Metal Gear, it's gonna be three. Stuff. But yeah, it's gonna be three. Is the is the best one because it had the best balance, I thought. But in terms of gameplay, it, it this one was the best, right? And it like even when you had to go back to certain areas um to do like something, like maybe you went to an area early and you cleared it out and you know you got something from there and you had to go there for a specific mission, you still like you could approach it in so many different ways. The, it just wasn't boring. I put a hundred hours into this game within a few months. You know, which yeah, I I would say when if I averaged out, I played about twenty five hours a month of this game, and that's just the gameplay out in the world, right? That's not you know the base building where you have a base that you need to build. Uh, collectibles. I I'm not a collectible type of person, but in this game, collectibles matter. Like you can collect words so that you can understand the comms, the enemy comms, because they're speaking a different language. And you can collect words to understand the different words that they're saying. So that's something you can collect. You can collect uh, soldiers. Like instead of killing somebody, if somebody has like a high rating, because the soldiers all have grades, instead of have, if they have a high rating, just knock them out, put the balloon on them, kidnap them, you know? <laughs> and, and now they work for you. So you had uh, companions like Quiet and Dee Dee. 
which were pretty cool. You know, and then you also had that robot, but I never used it, to be honest with you. Uh, but yeah. Well, yeah, ahead, I will say um, I did have this like internal debate with myself about even trying to fight this game off the top list because it's not a completed game. But the thing is, the gameplay is so solid. And if the storyline did was fully completed, like if everything in this game was completed, it might have even been like a contester for like number one. Like it could have been number one. Right. Yeah. Like it is. There's a clear cut in this game when Kojima pieced out. Clear cut. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because after after things like chapter 32, like that, that chapter 32 is where is normally what you would think is the end of the game. It's where the story of the Sahelanthropus kind of wraps up and stuff. And then after chapter 32, there it goes up to chapter 46. And you get cutscenes, but a lot of the chapters that you have to play, you have to re- you're replaying them. You know, you're replaying chapters at harder difficulties, and you get cutscenes in between. There's a new, a few new chapters. You even replay through the entire first chapter again after a certain event, so that you can see uh, how the first chapter kind of told you what was going to happen throughout the game. You know, uh, so there is that stuff, but it's just not really. Yeah, it's not it's not the same. So, but yeah, that, that's why it's number five and not number one. But it was such a good game. It was an excellent game, and it just it really sucks that you know they couldn't finish it out. I really I don't know what happened between Konami and Kojima. I wonder if he told them he wanted to make Death String, and they were like, "Fuck that noise." <laughs> he was working on Silent Hills, so I oh, don't that's true. know yeah. what I don't know what happened there, but. I I will always mourn the loss of Silent Hills. That just the demo, the things they were showing us on that game and the PT demo, right? Yeah, rip. Yep, rip. But uh, yeah. So yeah, the Metal Gear Solid Five, excellent game, deserves a spot. Let's go ahead and move into number four. Best games of 2015. Number four, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Rise of the Tomb Raider builds on the groundwork laid by Tomb Raider in 2013, improving weapon handling, combat, the upgrade system, and more. Crystal Dynamics also added more tombs, puzzles, and wildlife to the game. Rise of the Tomb Raider combines that with great story and pacing to deliver an excellent experience for players. Alright, number four, Rise of the Tomb Raider. And I gotta I I do believe this is the best Tomb Raider of the trilogy. It took everything in the first game. It had some improvements. There was more combat. I think it, because they're trying to show that Laura is more, um, more, what's the word I'm looking for? More confident. But I think they overdid it a little bit because she was a goddamn Terminator in this game. Uh, <laughs> she, she was. Like, yeah. there was, in the first one, there was a really good reason to stealth around because if you got into a fight, there was a chance you could die. In this one, the only real reason to stealth around, in my opinion, was just to get the extra XP, which I did so I can level up faster. But if I if you if I got caught, like, oh well, sun's out, guns out, like that's <laughs> it's, it's time to go. Like it, it, that that's what they that's what kind of happened. So uh, they did improve the combat. The combat wasn't a, 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 a slog. Well, actually, the combat in the first one wasn't a slog either, but it wasn't perfect, which is why. Uh, it was good to stealth around. This one is kind of like, okay, well, just say hello to my to my uh, friend, Mister AK Forty Seven here, and you shoot him up. Uh, but 
they I think they improved some of the action sequences. Like so a lot of the set pieces um, in the first game were, you didn't have to take a ton of action, right? Like um, if you're like going down the river, you just have to dodge certain things or, or get uh, impaled and die horribly. Yeah, <laughs> make, make jumps at certain times. But in this one, it's like as you're running away from a chopper that's shooting up the bridge behind you, and you got to make the right jump at the right time, and also execute so you can use a tool to make sure you latch onto the other wall. Like it was just more active. The the set pieces uh, in this game, uh, the her new tools make her a bit uh, more mobile. And like I said, you can come across more sections of the game where you rely on fast reactions. There's still a, I think there the amount of hidden tombs was probably the same as in the first game, but I think they balanced the game a bit more toward the combat than the hidden tombs. Like in the last one, it felt more balanced. Like there was a balance between exploration, combat, and the tombs. And in this one, I think there's less exploration and more combat, and I think the same amount of tombs. But it was still an excellent game. Had a great time with it. Even though I will say that the... When you finally get to the uh, supernatural part of it, where you're like these, they're like, oh well, these soldiers can't die. Why can I kill them then? <laughs> that that's that because that's what they were coming across. Like, oh, these these like soldiers, they're immortal and they can't die. Like the, the super um, the the whatever the the people that you were looking for, and um, it's just kind of like when you actually go to fight them, it's like, oh, they do die. You know, it's not like you got to use any special methods. I was actually looking forward to that part. I was going to say, how am I going to get through these guys? Am I going to have to stealth through this area? Am I not going to be able to get caught? No, no. Yep. Guns out. (laughs) (laughs) No, the combat was good in this game. The storyline was interesting. I just don't know what, I don't know if it's just other games came out and it just got buried like by other games being launched or like what? So yes. Uh, What came out at the same time? There was, was it? Un- no, it wasn't Uncharted. Something else came out that was like similar, like Far Cry or something like that. So that was one. Two, it was Xbox One exclusive. Yeah. So they didn't, they released it on PC, like, I don't know, January or something like that. And then PS4 didn't come out until like a year later. So I think a lot of people missed this game because they only had a PS4 or whatever. And by the time it came out, it was a whole year later. So people just lost interest in it. Maybe I don't, I enjoyed it. It was a it was a great game. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you know the fact that it was Xbox One exclusive for like a whole year. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't the wasn't the first one the the first ride the first Tomb Raider also Xbox One exclusive? Um, and then and then the definitive edition came out on PS4. You could be right. Yeah. Same day as Fallout Four. Bad idea. That's what uh, it was. Okay. So maybe it wasn't a similar game. I was wrong because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a similar game, but like you came out the same day as the sequel to Fallout 3. Sorry. And as you can see, Fallout 4 <laughs> didn't make this list. <laughs> yeah, but I there's a limit. Yeah. There's a, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm tired of shooting guns put together by rubber bands, okay? Look, just because we all don't like here like Bethesda games here doesn't mean there's not a whole shit ton. I love Bethesda games. Sorry. Wow. What? (laughs) I hate Bethesda games. Well, I hate I hate Elder Scrolls and Fallout. I was gonna say there's more to Bethesda than just Fallout and Elder Scrolls. So it's true, but what's their highest like 
thing. Oh, Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> Skyrim plays on everything, even your fridge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they took that anyway. joke from me. I've made that joke for years, and then they had the fridge joke, and I was like, oh, man, I'm so smart. Yeah. Expect your check in the mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish. Okay. Let's go ahead and move into number three. Best games of 2015, number three, Ori and the Blind Forest. Ori and the Blind Forest perfectly blends Metroidvania mechanics, excellent platforming, and a beautiful world to deliver a truly unique experience. Don't let the fantastic graphics and animation put you at ease, as the game's difficulty is anything but trivial. Even though Ori and the Blind Forest can be challenging, its tight and responsive controls make it fair and allow players to overcome any challenge thrown at them, as long as they use their wits and are able to execute. Alright, coming at number three, Ori and the Blind Forest. I mean, I picked this game up on a whim. I I gotta be honest with you, I, did, I didn't see any marketing for this game. I didn't even know it was coming out. I just saw it pop up on Steam one day. I'm like, that looks cool. What is it, Saturday? I don't got anything to do. Like I, <laughs> and I picked up the game. I was like, "Oh my god, this game is amazing!" Like you know, the Ori and the Blind Forest is phenomenal. Um, gorgeous game. Like I was tempted to play it at 30 FPS just because it will look like an animated film at 30 FPS. I was obviously playing it above that, but I was like, "Man, 30." Because like, what I actually what I do, I recorded myself playing it, and I played it. And when I looked back at the record, I'm like, "This is like a fucking animated movie." You know, this yeah. is great. Not only did it look great. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, not only did it look great, it was a just a great Metroidvania game. Also, didn't expect that you would expect something like this to be more of just like a regular platformer. It was fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> Why is something this cute hard? <laughs> Why? It is cute. Yeah, I remember. I remember you were streaming it one day, and you were having trouble getting past one part, and I had to tell you how to get past it. <laughs> fucking hard <laughs> like, there was some twitch platforming you had to be able to do in that game uh, like and like being like you would have to double jump then bounce off a projectile an enemy like did so you'd have to time your double jump to when that projectile would get there launch that back at the enemy but you go this way do that same thing again with a different enemy and then just kind of like do a aerial roll to dodge over the spikes. There was some dumb, crazy shit you would have to do in that game. Yeah, I mean, it was the 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 controls were tight and the game was challenging. Uh, the game really relied like it's not not just like the platforming and the puzzles, uh, but like those puzzles generally relied on you executing properly, right? Right. Like right. it wasn't a it wasn't always a clear cut path on how you're supposed to do something. Right. It, right. it was like, you know, you had to you had to also make sure that you could execute properly. So you could do something, execute poorly, and then think it's the wrong thing to do. But no, it is the right thing to do. You just sucked at it. You know, so Yeah, I had a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of I have the right idea. I'm not doing it right. Yeah. So, like, so no, it was it was great. And then the dungeon finales I thought were excellent. Uh especially God, the I first one. The first mm-hmm. one with the water, it was like, man, I died because I was just looking at it at first. Like I was trying to, I was trying to take it. You were in, taking it all in, and I couldn't because, like, it was like, no, you need to get out of here, like right now. The water's rising, not for you to look at. It's going to kill you, please. Like you yeah, know, no. that's what. It, <laughs> the combat was good too. Like it wasn't too difficult. Like most of the boss, I mean, a lot of the boss fights were really fun and very cinematic. Uh, the I I loved every escape sequence throughout that game. Every like it was great. 
I I am very happy it did well and we are getting a sequel. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, like the it was just a, a great game and the great the the music for it was great as well. They did an excellent job and I mean I mean don't get me wrong, I know that people were still making Metroidvania games before this, but I think this really helped reinvi- reinvigorate the genre or at least the interest in the genre. You know, cuz right. if you look at like um it's like a Hollow Knight. I can't remember if Hollow Knight came out before or after Ori. I think after, but Hollow Knight was also very solid. Like in, yeah, it yeah. The, the, like, that's, you're right. It reinvigorated. I think if with Hollow Knight, if uh, if you don't have Ori, that kind of reinvigorates that interest. I don't think you have a lot of people interested in Hollow Knight because Ori left you wanting more. Ori leaves you wanting more of that style of game. Yeah, I don't know. I think Hollow Knight stands on its own, even if Ori didn't exist. But maybe like it would have been a harder sell for Hollow Knight if Ori didn't exist first. I guess well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like Hollow Knight would have been a good game regardless of whether Ori came out or not. I don't think Hollow Knight uh, takes from Ori and makes it better. Uh, I think that the interest in Hollow Knight was uh, was uh, a bit bolstered because of Ori. That's what I'm saying. Mm. So. But yeah, great game. Ori and the Blind Forest. Really looking forward to uh, the Ori and Willow of the Wisps. Willow so, the Wisps. Yeah, Willow of the Wisps. Can't so wait that, for should that. Be, that should be good. It's February 2020. So Can't wait to die fucking over and over and over fucking again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not, I'm not expecting to. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not expecting to die that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get into number two. Best games of 2015, number two, Batman Arkham Knight. Batman Arkham Knight is the final game of the trilogy and delivers the complete Batman experience. Players can traverse all of Gotham either by gliding in the skies or by driving the Batmobile on the ground. Players also face off with the largest assortment of Batman enemies the series has seen, following multiple story threads and bringing each to justice. Batman Arkham Knight combines stealth, action, and puzzle solving to create the greatest Batman game of all time. All right, number two, Batman Arkham Knight. Another game on, on the list that I think kind of got a bad rap, mainly because of its PC port. The P- I didn't see this game on, I don't recall seeing this game on any lists because the PC port was handled so poorly. And I don't necessarily blame Rocksteady for that. I blame WB for that more so because, you know, they outsourced uh, it, right? They outsourced the port to PC, and it was trash. It was hot trash. That yeah. was on fire. That's why it was hot trash. Like, I it was bad. I watched Dre because he got it on PS4 and PC. I watched him try to play it on PC, and oh my god! Like none of the the um, backgrounds or anything would load in. Sometimes he would just fall through the ground. I mean, it was. Something. Mortal Kombat X also yeah. suffered from PC problems as well, but that was again because WB Games outsourced the port. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, instead of get, you know, I guess maybe funding rocks, maybe oh, I don't know. I don't want to uh, in, in uh, act like I know what they were thinking. Maybe they wanted all of Rocksteady working on the main game, and they would have some else to do the port. But they could have probably put another team together inside of Rocksteady to work on that that PC port and it was bad. And that's one of the reasons why you don't see this game on too many lists, but this game was phenomenal. It was, it is the best of the Arkham series. It is. Now, some people don't like the Batmobile. I loved the Batmobile in this game. Absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, both both of them didn't like the Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Why did you not like the Batmobile? It was clunky. I didn't like it. Every the- battle, every battle that involved the Batmobile was lame. I didn't like driving around with it. I hardly ever used it, basically, unless the game made me. I much rather traverse the city in my bat gliding grappling hook way. You can. You can. I did, and, and that's what I did. And I and I and I did because fuck the Batmobile. <laughs> like, I, I did not uh, care about it. Yeah, I I wasn't. I just don't like driving in games. So when a game forces you to drive in a game, that's the issue that I had with like Saints Row 4, where like you have all these superpowers, but occasionally you got them taken away and now you have to drive. It's like, I never drive in this game. Now I'm going to suck at it because I don't practice. And that's why I don't like it. It's stupid that I don't like it. I will say that, but I just don't like driving in games. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I I I thought the Batmobile was great, and the, the Bat—it's a Batmobile. Like, it's big. Like I don't expect it to be sleek, but the thing about it is, like, nothing really got in your way either. If you hit something, it just crumbled when you were in the Bat Batmobile. So it's the Batmobile, because <laughs> it's the Batmobile exactly. So, and I mean, I didn't. I mean, people didn't like the take combat because, like, oh, Batman would never have a have the Batmobile turn into a tank. No, I'm just kind of like, I'm he just totally like, would. yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, I enjoy those. They weren't my favorite. They weren't my favorite thing, maybe because they were just kind of a bit repetitive, and actually they were kind of supposed to be because they were a um they were like a side mission mode that you would do until you got to the main person who was controlling the tanks, which I believe was Deathstroke. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you got Deathstroke because he had his own like super tank, and you fought him in it, which I gotta be honest, like that fight. He was he like it, there's a there's a difficulty spike in that, in that fight. I ended up have like hiding a lot in the tank uh you know but the city was built for you to use the tank and move around in the tank in certain areas and have those fights so i enjoyed it but the uh, like, even if you don't like the batmobile let's say you don't use the batmobile the whole game uh, that you can avoid you know using it which i'm sorry but the also bringing it back to the batmobile the music that played while you were driving in the batmobile is fucking dope okay uh but even if you didn't like that like moving around the city like you have all of gotham to move around you have the three islands uh to 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 uh you know play around in uh like i said you don't have to use the battle mode there's more than enough ways for you to traverse around the city uh using the the bat glider and things like that uh the combat system was improved and it was more fluid than ever and i i felt like i had more fight oh nothing more fights but more control over my fights when i was actually fighting and i think they did that because um they wanted to put more enemies in the fights, right? Like you were fighting against more thugs in each fight. And be also because of that, you had to use more tools in your toolbox, right? You had to really manage your enemies in some cases. That was that was one thing I liked better about the combat in this game over Arkham City is I felt like I actually had to use my tools. Versus yeah, like, like, in Arkham City, I felt like I could just have a counter battle all day. Yeah, like you would have to like stun this guy and uh bind this guy some fights required that you knew how to do certain moves like there's a fight when you're fighting a oh my god i can't remember his name it's the guy who wears the pig mask i cannot remember his name in the comic books but his in order to beat the people in his area you had to knock them out with a specific move so you had to kind of know how to do uh do certain moves for certain fights um yeah, and the fact that you got to engage, like not only like so his enemies, like his greatest foes, like Penguin and uh Two Face, they weren't just in the game, right? 
you actually had to do stuff to get to them and capture them. You put them in the back of the Batmobile and then drive them back to the jail. Like you had to actually catch them and take them to jail, which I thought was pretty cool because of the conversations you would have with them as you're, you know, uh, <laughs> as you're taking them back to the jail, you know, or even going to the jail and walking around the jail, the jail cell with the bit, with all the major enemies or the fact that when you go into the, the, uh, the police department, the farther you get into the game, the more the cells are filling up. Like at first the cells are all empty. And then as you go through the game, there's more thugs in the cells to the point that as you're like at the end of the game, all the cells are packed to capacity. All of the enemies are in their cells and stuff like that. And all the ba- all of the major bad guys are also in their cells. And they talk to each other too, which is also pretty funny. You know? So I, I liked it, you know, a, a lot. I even like the fact that the the Riddler the 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 Riddler puzzles a lot of them had to do with the Batmobile, which I thought was cool. Um, so yeah, I thought I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was good. I liked the way they included the Joker in the game and the fact that he was with you the whole time. So mm. I was gonna say that like from the beginning when the game was coming out and like the Joker was gonna be in it and everything, I'm like, come on, like this is so tacky. Like just let him go because the Joker's in it's still now the Joker's in everything. Like just let it be, but. Then when you play the game, you're like, okay, this this is actually not bad. Like they did this very well. So I was not mad. Yeah. The only thing this game suffered from, which I think all of the Arkham games suffer from, is a bad ending. Is it? That's the only like thing. A battle, like, but like bad boss battle ending or bad story ending? Uh bad story ending. See, I liked how City ended because I thought it was cool that they actually did something that could have actually impacted the fucking world. Right. But they kind of backpedaled it, so whatever. Uh yeah, I thought the I thought like the way that the 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 story ended was weak, you know. Even if you, because I one hundred percent at this game, I did like the, I, there's very few games that one hundred percent. But when I found out that you can't get the true ending until you one hundred percent the game, I didn't I didn't do the Nightfall protocol until cause I knew I'm, once I did it, I wasn't going back. So I, once I did the Nightfall protocol, uh, I I mean I did I, I'm one hundred percent the game, and that includes getting all of the Riddler trophies, which actually that's another thing to bring up. You have several opportunities to fight alongside your allies in this game. Everybody except um, Batgirl. Everybody except Batgirl, but you fight with uh, with uh, um, Nightwing. You fight alongside with Robin. Um, you fight alongside with Catwoman. You know, and in order to actually finish the part with Catwoman, you have to get all the Riddler trophies. You know, uh, so oh, so you actually you don't have to get all the Riddler trophies. What do you have to do? You have to do a certain amount for, of stuff for Riddler. And then you can't have to get the trophies in the rest of the city. And then you 100% the game. And then you activate Nightfall Protocol. And even that, to be honest with you, was like, it was a little confusing as to what they were trying to accomplish with the ending. So that's the, I think that's the only problem with, with the, the Arkham games in general is that the, the endings are a bit weak. But other than that, that, this game was phenomenal. I love it from top to bottom. Well, maybe not the bottom, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Was- <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to our number one game. Best games of 2015. Number one, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. The Witcher 3 wraps up Geralt's game saga with an in-depth, large open world, great storytelling, and tons of things to do. The large scope is matched by its graphical fidelity, and the refined combat system helps to deal with the sometimes challenging situations, making the game feel fair and rewarding. 
CD Projekt Red put a lot of hard work into this well-crafted game, and it shows. All right, coming at number one, Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. I guess so. I mean, I personally, I enjoy Batman more than this game, but <laughs> like, you know, it's, I think the overall consensus is that uh, this game was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. This game set a new standard for open world fantasy games, pretty much. Like, I look forward to this new post Witcher world because this game didn't have a lot of bugs. It had crazy, stupid amount of content to it. Had a fun trading card game that turned into a TCG like dude, like side game. Gwent is a thing. I mean, they make like, everything esports, but it was esports for a good like ten minutes. So yeah, like Witcher Three just did everything it needed to do to stand above the rest, and just did it great. I don't know. So the thing with Witcher 3, and I have this with like so many games, is there's so much stuff to do. I get overwhelmed. However, the fact that there's a main character that you follow versus someone that's like you make yourself and you make your own adventure, it was a lot easier for me to like cling on to. Um, and I did this with Witcher 2 as well. I played a lot of the game. I just never finished it because I have a short attention span. But I pick up the game every so often, start new, and I'm like, I'm going to beat it this time. And I did the same thing with Dragon's Dogma. I started it and like got like 20 hours in, and I'm like, okay, I'll play it tomorrow, and then never pick it back up. But it holds me enough to keep trying to play it. Yeah. And it's just the combat is super stellar. The skill trees give actual skills that like matter and make you feel more powerful and give you that power trip of being a witcher. Uh, it, the, the amount of voice acting in this game is stupid. Like the, ever like how much is actually voice acted and how much you don't have to read and how much like there's just to do and explore and live in this fucking world. That's horrible, but also really cool is just really interesting. And then I don't know what difficulty you guys played on, but I played on the, what is it? The blood and broken bones. So not like the highest difficulty, but the one after it and, or below it. And I, I feel like that kept it a little interesting. I'm kind of bad at these games. So maybe like it was a little harder for me, but it wasn't that bad to play through. Like, well, oh, not play, play through, normal. but <laughs> play it with that. Yeah. You just can't like heal standard, you know, like you, I don't think you can heal through meditation. I think you have to like eat or rest or something or it's the other way around. Um, but it, it's a little bit more strict on like how Outer Worlds is where like if you play the harder difficulty, you have to pay attention to eating and drinking and resting and all of that stuff. Right. I don't know. It's Witcher 3 just set a new standard and I I, I can't praise it enough for it's all that it did well with visuals, gameplay, story, and just overall just quality of life and good luck to whoever releases the next open world fantasy game because man do you got some shoes to fill and you know what the witcher almost follows the skyrim kind of uh release because they just released it on the switch like it's gonna be around for a while i don't know how it looks or how it plays on the switch but it's on there and you're shaking your head no so it's probably i probably won't get it on the switch but uh actually it's fine <laughs> <laughs> Go look up Digital Foundry's like video of the Witcher 3 but, Switch. Um so I uh, had an old like a little bit of story time, but I had a old boss who was like super into the Witcher and 
it's almost like how I guess Halo Five was, where like it has like all of this lore and stuff that you could follow and stuff. And The Witcher has like these books and everything that you can read. And he was so into it. It's like his favorite series. He probably put like four hundred plus hours into this game alone, plus because he plays through mm-hmm. it a decent amount of times. The DLCs are really good too. It's just yep. solid. There's a reason. There's a reason we're getting a Netflix show. Uh, <laughs> I cannot wait. I. I don't think they can mess it up. There's no way. Like they, I, of course, oh, they, they can, can mess, mess it, it up. Mess it up. Well, like of course, they, they can mess it up. They Why mess would up you say Game of Thrones. Like they mess up Game of Thrones. So yes, they can mess. Anybody can mess anything up. But it was good <laughs> at first. I like. Yeah. I'm saying they can't mess it up. As in, like they know they can't mess it up. Like you can't mess this up. If they mess it up, I'm I might cry. But well, unfortunately, I think the bulk of the Netflix subscribers don't even know what The Witcher is, so they they can get away with murder. Actually, <laughs> probably. But it looks like so far they're paying pretty good homage to the game in right. the Netflix series based off the trailers we've seen. But anyways. Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, easily game of the year for this year. Yeah. I, it, it just does so much right. I think the good thing about The Witcher 3, too, is they kind of made that three hidden. So, like, they kind of just call it Witcher uh, Witcher Wild Hunt because they want to make it accept. They don't want to make it overwhelming for people to be like, oh, this is the third one. I don't want to play one and two. Uh, so they made it very accessible for people who haven't played the other games in the series. They kind of catch you up on what happened in the past Witchers. So... Also, yeah. I yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to play one and two to play this game. You might, you'll get more out of it, but it is not required reading. Basically, you yeah. can go straight into three and enjoy no, it to the fullest. Again, they you did can't that go intentionally. Back and play one. No, you can't go back and play one. <laughs> yeah. like, that shit's unplayable. Like, I tried. It is, it's bad. It's bad. It's like it's no. Like that was no two. Maybe two, two I, is playable. So two I was. Is playable playing through two and I was like I really want to play through one before I like go through two and I think that's why I stopped playing two because like I tried to play one and I'm like Haha, well <laughs> the problem it, it suffers the Borderlands three thing it's like once you play Witcher three Witcher three or like you know you played Borderlands three, you can't go back to two there's just too much quality of life improvements that just make the game like uh if only I could do this right you know? yeah yeah no it was whew. yeah it's rough um so I wouldn't recommend it but yeah so Witcher 3, or Witcher Wild Hunt, number one game of 2015. Let's. You guys got any closing thoughts on the year before we head out of here? Uh, No, it's just an interesting year. I don't it is. I think it, like, it's, it feels a bit light because, you know, we do our honorable mention episodes for Patreon, and it's kind of like, well, what game are we going to bring up our honorable mention? Because pretty much everything that was good, we put, <laughs> kind of put on the list here. Yeah, yeah. I... I I think this was the year of the Wii U, right? This is is this the year that it came out or was it the year before? It might have been this year, but like I was playing obscure games cuz like there wasn't really too well, much. <laughs> well, I think we talked about it before. Like 2014 was a weak year. This year was not as weak, but we're getting ready to go next year is 2016 and from the middle of 2016 till now, it's just been a a, a deluge of, right. of great games so it's like everybody it feels like everybody was finishing up all of their good shit you know it, it, this year and then like by the middle of next year may of 2016 what is the is the tipping point for, I feel for this like decade everybody, <laughs> i think everyone figured out how to build games properly on the ps4 and xbox around 
mid 2016 or you know they got the games out that they like hit their stride on with the consoles with basically like okay we got this down and like that's why we start seeing the stellar shit really start to hit out you know what i mean absolutely like the 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 latter half of this decade is completely different than the first half which i mean that makes sense like the latter half of the 2000s is different than the beginning part i mean you know like i mean for example beginning part of the 2000s you had shinmu and that game never would have got released in the second half of the 2010s and possibly shouldn't have been released in the second half of the of the 20 of this of this decade either but we'll we'll get around to that maybe maybe i'm just throwing a little shade i haven't played it yet folks <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no like i think like this year it felt a little bit light but you know we had these games that kind of help us bring it through i mean like we, you know batman witcher tomb raider metal gear uh halo you know, all all great games uh, that that kind of you know will get you through the year. But after this, this is when you know shit starts to hit the fan in terms of great games coming out. So yeah, it was tw- I th- it was a, it was a light year, but it wasn't as bad as twenty fourteen. Yeah, I think twenty fourteen was the worst year of this decade so far. But with that, we are going to wrap up here. Thank you for listening. Like I said earlier, we are always looking for feedback, so you can reach out to us on Discord.me slash mash those buttons. Uh, you can reach out to us on via email at contactthemashesbuttons.com or Twitter at the Mash Network on Twitter. Uh, I'd like to thank our Patreons or our patrons. I always get that mixed up. Our patrons for helping to support content like this. Uh, we really do appreciate your help. And if you enjoy our content, you can also help support Mash's Buttons and our content for as little as $1 a month and receive Patreon bonuses. And you can receive... Uh, bonuses for this series specifically uh if you are on the fan tier which is one dollar you will get honorable mentions and that's where we kind of go through games that we thought were good and worth talking about but didn't necessarily make the list and if you are on the supporter tier of our patreon you'll receive honorable mentions and you'll receive the draft episodes where we actually drill down from the games that we had on our personal list down to the 10 so uh, yeah, if if you're interested in that, just go to patreon.com slash mash those buttons. You can access those rewards right now. So thank you very much once again for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash the Mash Network, facebook.com slash mash those buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord. 